Gospel of John. I know we just watched it, but let's read through John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more and more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answers her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who has given us the well and drank from it himself as also did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answers for everyone who drinks water from here will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman replies, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go back, go back, go back, call your husband and then come back to me. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not even your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman says, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is over there in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replies, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, yet a time is coming and it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman replies, I know that Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain all things to us. And Jesus declares profoundly, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one dared ask, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And leaving, leaving her water jar behind, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come with me, see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Could this possibly be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Such a profound story. We've studied this story a few times. In the scene from The Chosen, we hear it in the text, we We see that the scene is based upon this woman as she encounters Jesus at the well. But this woman, she's suffering. She's suffering from a deep spiritual thirst that's stirred, and this is the word I want to focus on with you today, she's stirred by so many rounds of rejection. 
rejection. And listen, if we're being honest today, we've all been the woman at the well. We've all been rejected. We can all connect with the story of this woman because every one of us have faced rejection in our lives. We've been excluded. We've been kept on the outside. We've even been ostracized at different points in our lives. And rejection wounds us deep, doesn't it? It cuts deep. And often rejection usually comes from the very people who are supposed to accept us the most. Perhaps for you it was parents that weren't there when you needed them the most. Or spouses who took the trust that you gave them freely and they walked all over you. Or maybe your story is a story of a church. A church perhaps that that was there for you when you were growing up, but they turned their back on you as soon as you became an adult. Or maybe your story is that you've had friends who took and took and took only to be absent when you went through your hard things. Rejection is real, friends, and rejection is hard because acceptance is so valuable. You know it well. Acceptance in life by friends and family and churches and others, it can literally be giving life to the soul. And Jesus, in this beautifully poetic and relational moment, he uses this illustration of water. Water. He uses the illustration of water to explain how rejection can be healed and acceptance can be found through him. Friends, the water that Jesus offers is alive. The water that Jesus offers is vibrant, and it is satisfying. His water, Jesus' water, the living water, is the remedy for all the rejection that we face. Rejection that eats away at us. Rejection that weakens us. Rejection that can suck the very life out of us. Jesus holds the answer, and it's in his living water. And so what I want to do with you today in our few remaining moments together is to just look at a few key concepts from this popular story. A few things that we can pull out that maybe will help all of us in our journey to understanding Jesus and to being healed from those that have rejected us. Here's the first. You can write it down or you can follow along in the YouVersion app. The first is this, is that there's living water for those left thirsty from religious rejection. We see it clearly in this story, John chapter 4. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And the woman said to him, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And in that question, will you give me a drink? As Jesus asks the woman at the well, you can hear this audible, incredulous gap. Gasp, I mean. This gasp from a woman in her reply, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How do you ask me for a drink? You see this woman's response. It came from a deep well of years of religious rejection. How can you ask me for a drink? For her, this brought up a deep amount of pain, stirred by this ongoing theological war. You see, Jews did not consider Samaritans Jewish. Jews were 
considered other. They were considered outside. They were considered different. And Samaritans, over time, they had embraced their own places, their own practices of worship, and many of them had even married Gentiles. They were scornfully turned away as second class. In fact, it wasn't uncommon to overhear a Jew offering a sneering prayer of thanksgiving, thanking God that they weren't born a Samaritan. How ugly that is. But here's Jesus in this compassionate meetup moment at a well during the noon hour, crossing these hard lines drawn up between these two religious camps. And in famous fashion, he startlingly speaks of a future worship that transcends Jew. It transcends Samaritan. It even transcends Greek. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks Because God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And these words, we can imagine, these words must have spoken to a deep thirst inside this woman. One stirred, of course, by this religious rejection. You can see it in the scene we watched. You can hear her joy at the end of the scene. Jesus was the one who asked for a drink of water, knowing full well that she was the one who needed one. Friends, religious rejection. Religious rejection still happens today. Many of you are products of that. Many of you understand that well. I, for one, have been amazed over the recent years how so many people have been hurt by religious people. Allowing political agendas to ruin relationships and cause division and pain. Being labeled by one poor decision and being treated as if you committed the unpardonable sin. There's examples of abusive leadership, being made, fi- made to feel bad for simply asking real questions. Religious rejection happens all the time. And it is a reality that we must face. Church hurt and religious rea- rejection is a sad reality of the church today. And if it's happened to you, Can I just say I'm sorry? Far too many stories of churches and people hurting you simply because of religiosity. Of course, Jesus can relate, can't he? He was rejected by religious people. And he offers us today not only empathy and sympathy, he offers something more. He offers to us this life-giving acceptance that will heal our hurts and literally change our lives. Jesus will do that. Here's number two. Write this one down. There's living water left for those left thirsty from social rejection. John 4, 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, in this story, countless scholars have noted just how odd it is that the woman was at the well when she was. 
High noon was not when women in particular would gather water in the ancient Near East. Such a task was often completed in the cool of the morning. And the fact that she was alone is a curious thing too. Women would often fetch water in community. It was a time to be with friends. But in this story, there was no one with her. There was nobody with her when Jesus walks up to the well. In fact, it's safe to assume that she probably didn't have many friends, if any at all. And why is that? Well, the rest of the story can lead readers to all kinds of conclusions. Maybe, maybe she's socially on the outside looking in because of poor relational decisions she's made. Maybe poor relational decisions have been made for her. And even though it's no fault of her own, the suspicions of her neighbors, not to mention the gossip mill, have made her a communal outcast. Maybe it's a combination of both. Or maybe it's something entirely different. But what we do know, what we do know in this story is that she is socially ostracized. She is an outcast. And it's made worse by the fact that she's a woman. Women were not accepted, and the moment a woman did anything seemingly wrong, she was outcast immediately. But along comes Jesus. And again, by way of a compassionate meetup, at a well during a noon hour, crossing the hard lines drawn up between the socially acceptable and the socially rejectionable, the men and the women, he sees her. He goes to her. He sits with her. He talks to her. He listens to her. And in that moment, it had to have spoken to a deep thirst inside this woman. One stirred by social rejection. We see it clearly in the scene. The reasons why we might find ourselves on the outside looking in socially are probably too many to count. The ostracization is rarely justified, and it's always painful. We all desire to be both seen and heard. We all want to be a part of the in crowd, don't we? And can I just say that social media has made this worse? I mean, have you ever been scrolling through your feed on Facebook or Instagram, and you see a picture of your so-called friends out to dinner with somebody else? How dare they? (laughs) Exactly. Why wasn't I invited? You're laughing because you've all done that before. (laughs) And get this. Get, get, Get how ridiculous this sounds. But we're all susceptible to it. In a moment of seeing a simple picture on social media, we immediately feel rejected. Whether the rejection was intended on the other person's part, it is very real to us. But it can be even harsher than that, can it? Have you ever found some of your friends have a group chat that doesn't include you? Ouch. Or maybe somebody's talking about you behind your back. They say one thing to your face and go around everybody else and they say something different. And social rejection is real. Social rejection will have you questioning all of your relationships, questioning everything about them. Does that person really like me? 
Am I really a part of that group? Or do they just feel sorry for me? I mean, I know they're saying this, but do they really mean it? Or are they just trying to make me feel better, shut me up, or just simply be nice to me? We've been there, haven't we? But again, Jesus offers this living water for our social rejection. He, in fact, says to us, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never talk about you behind your back. You'll never have to wonder if I accept you, because I do. Social rejection is real. And can I just say to the students in the room, those of you that are in junior high and high school, be a part of the solution, not the problem. Social rejection happens from all types of places. And when you are in school, man, I wish I had known this years ago. It is at a heightened sense. We see things, we confront things, we feel things, and we immediately make a judgment about another person. Seeing through my, old, my own kids' lives, a group chat can change the dynamic of a person's self-worth in an instant. A like on an Instagram post, a comment on a Facebook post, a Snapchat making fun of somebody can make somebody question life itself. Social rejection leads to suicide, friends. And it's time to be a part of the solution, not the problem. Here's the third one. Third concept I want to pull out of the story is this one. There's living water for those left thirsty from relational rejection. Relational rejection. Verses 16 through 18, he told her, go and get your husband and then come back. Well, surprise, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't have a husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not even your husband. What you said is quite true. Don't ever try to lie to God. He already knows. And what piercing words. What piercing words directly to the soul this must have been to the woman. And of course it can lead us to all kinds of different conclusions. She's been rejected by five men. Or maybe perhaps she's the one doing the rejection. Perhaps maybe she's the rejecter and the rejected. Again, there's no way to know for sure, and scholars are, again, divided on the matter. But what is known is that her life has been scarred by relational rejection. Her life has been scarred by it. And it makes another theory about why she's alone at the well, doesn't it? Maybe a tantalizing one. Maybe she's alone at the well by choice. Why let anyone else in? when whoever she's let in before has always left her alone over and over and over again and lonelier than before. There are no wounds like relational wounds, friends. They come together to inflict yet another wound. It's not just the relational wound. It's the wound of believing that no one wants to be a part of your life. And Jesus by way of a compassionate meetup at a well during the noon hour, crossing lines drawn up by a rejected soul, meant to protect that soul from more harm. And the fact that he even wanted to be with her 
The fact that he even took time to sit with her and to talk with her and to listen to her. It had to be a salve to her soul. It had to be healing. And these wounds, these wounds, we circle back to the previous point. These wounds can make you feel in a very real way that no one wants you to be a part of their life. Because these kinds of wounds come from people that are supposed to accept you. Your flaws, your inconsistencies, your quirks. These are the very people that are supposed to accept you just as you are. Yet somehow, they've taken advantage of you. Somehow, they've used you. Somehow, they've tossed you to the side like something without worth. And these relational wounds, they're far more hurtful than social rejection because they come from people closest to us. These cuts from relational rejection are often inflicted from our own knives. They take the knife in our own hand and they literally stab us in the back. With relational rejection, the other person often knows just enough about us to push our buttons. To cut us right where they know it will hurt the worst. And twist the weapon deep into that one spot. That causes the most pain. In the weeks following Easter, we're going to do a series called Extraordinary Relationships. It's a series that I'm hoping all of you will attend, but it's a series I'm sincerely hoping that you'll invite some people to join you with. Relationships are in a state of emergency today. We do not relationship well. And this relationship is going to touch on the marriage relationship, friend relationships. We're going to talk about conflict. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to talk about all of the things needed to have healthy, extraordinary relationships. I hope you'll join us. But these relational wounds that happen are really the ones that are hardest to heal from. Some of you sitting here today, you are walking through divorce right now. You have been hurt deeply by the one you loved the most. For some of you, you have a parent that over time, somehow, they have not treated you the same as they used to treat you. Or perhaps they treat you worse than the way they used to treat you. For others of you, you have friends deep friends, sincere friends that you have done life with, you've cried with, and you've laughed with. And somehow, They've turned their very back on you. They don't want nothing to do with you. In fact, every time you try to reach out, it only makes the pain hurt deeper. These relational wounds are ones that are real and need to be dealt with. Can I just say, but Jesus, come on somebody. Jesus is the one, get this, who knows everything about us, our deepest and darkest secrets, and yet we'll never use those things to harm us. That's where a good amen goes. In spite, of our, in spite of our flaws, our shortcomings, and even our sins, the Apostle Paul writes to us today, there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation to him who is in Christ Jesus. And that's where a better amen goes, friends. Because those relational wounds can hurt. And then this is my last point. This is the final one for today. There's living water 
for those left thirsty from their own rejection of a richer way of life. Let's be honest. We are faced each and every day with the choice to follow Jesus or to go our own way. For some of us, we've been wrestling with that choice for far too long. In John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, it says this. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. To which Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. He is here. He is near. There's no way to know exactly what has unfolded in this woman's life. But isn't that the story of all of us? We catch glimpses. We know what's happened in our own life. We know what needs to be healed in our own life. And sometimes we hold tightly onto those hurts and those pains. We hold tightly onto that rejection. And sometimes that very rejection can become our identity. That rejection becomes who we are. We almost can't imagine life without that rejection present. It feels reckless to somehow let go of the rejection and follow Jesus with all of our hearts. What seems clear in the life of this woman is that she had spent years stepping in and out of the way of life that God had called her to. A way of life that would have been richer for her. A way of life that when she didn't follow it, it cost her everything. It's not hard to imagine that she probably believed that it had cost her her shot, an invitation to step into the way of Jesus. You see, sometimes we imagine that the things we've done, the things that we did, the things even that we did last night or last week prevent us from now following Jesus all the way. We think think that we're disqualified. Man, if only you knew all the stuff that I did, you would understand why I don't feel worthy of following Jesus. Let me put it into a less ethereal way for you. If you knew what I did, you'd understand why I don't serve. If you knew what I did, you'd understand why I don't raise my hands in worship. If you understood what I did, you'd know why I'm not plugged into a small group. If you knew what I did, you'd know why I only show up once every couple months to church. If you knew what I did, you would know how unworthy I am of following Jesus. And Jesus shows up and he says, I know your story, and I call you worthy anyway. He shows up here to the woman at the well. And can I just pick you up and place you in this story for a moment? Jesus, he shows up into your situation, into your feelings and moments of rejection. He shows up with a compassionate meetup, asking, inviting, will you meet me here? He calls you at the noon hour, in the middle of your embarrassment, in the middle of your loneliness, in the middle where everybody sees you. They see the tears. They see the anger. They see what you're walking through. And Jesus says, there, that's where I want to meet you at. 
I don't want to meet you when you're all cleaned up, when you've got it all together. I want to meet you right there in the middle of your messiness because that's where I can do my greatest work. Jesus crosses over the hard line that often we draw in the sand ourselves. And we tell ourselves all along the way, this relationship is too far gone. This dream is too far dead. My sin is too far out of reach. And we draw a line in the sand and we say, Jesus, you can help me with this. You can help me with that. But this is off limits because it's just too far. We find ourselves standing at the line. And Jesus, with all of his heart, he says, I want to cross the line. Not just in this area but in all areas of your life. Not some arbitrary line that you've drawn in the sand because you feel guilty or you feel some sort of way. Lines in the sand do not stop me and I want to meet you there. His invitation stands for us just like it did for her. Come to me. Come to me. And let me satisfy the deep thirst that exists in your life. Because I give living water. I don't give the bitter water that others have given you. I give something that is far better. That is life-giving. And so often Jesus shows up and says, hey, give me a drink of water. Instead of allowing him to give us the water we need. The truth is, is that we all step in and out of the way of life that God has called us to. We take days off, we doubt ourselves, we get lazy. Jesus calls us to a life that is rich, a life that is more than we can ever think or imagine. Each time that we step out of the way he's made for us, it costs everything. Like the woman at the well, it's not hard to imagine that we've cost ourselves a shot at an invitation to step back into the way of Jesus. But listen to me, friends. God is patient. God is patient. God is what the Bible calls long-suffering. He does not give up easily. I believe that you were created on purpose for a purpose. And he is willing to walk with you and wait with you until you're able to throw off the pain of rejection and step fully into the life that he has called you to. After all, in the same way that Jesus offers living water to this woman at the well, you and I are instructed to offer living water to others. And so church, worship team, you can come on back up. Can I just give you two words? It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time to drink the living water and let go of rejection. It's time to let go of that religious rejection, that social rejection, that uh, relational rejection. 
Let go of the rejection of God's plan for your life because it is good and perfect and pleasing. And no lies are found here today. It is a process. It is a journey. But trust me, if you'll take a step, one step after the other, and let go of that rejection, the living water, the living water of Jesus is much better tasting than the bitterness of rejection. Let's pray, friends. Father, as I've been speaking today, I'm sure, as in my own life, that there's all kinds of different thoughts of rejection in the room today. Lord, I know so many stories of people that are represented here today. So many stories of rejection, Father. It saddens me. It saddens me to imagine that the church has rejected people. That Christians have rejected people. That friends and family and spouses and co-workers, neighbors have rejected people. That through rejection there's been this deep wound created. And so many of us struggle to find our way out. To find our way toward healing. Lord, what I know about rejection is that the healing starts with you. Just like the woman at the well, Father. That when we focus on you, that when we learn more about who you are, that the healing journey, the healing journey can begin. And so, Lord, it's my prayer today that those of us who battle rejection, and I imagine it's all of us on some level, that we take that next step. And, Lord, that we'd be the healthiest version of ourselves that we can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet and let's worship God one last time.